listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into it. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Guys, we have a super special show today. This is the 100-day project episode with two amazing women behind the project, El Luna and Lindsay Jean Thompson. So here's the deal. The Creative Pep Talk community, we are going to be uh, joining in on the 100-day project this year. Uh, They approached me to be involved, and it was the perfect timing Uh, You know, the last episode we did was about creating a self-initiated project and I want to light the fuse for you and give you a deadline and make it happen. And I also wanted to do uh, a daily project. So I said, yes, we're going to do it. The creative pepperonis we're in. We're going to be taking part of this challenge. Come on. Let's do it, guys. Come on. I know. Even if you don't feel like you're ready, you can use this as a way to get ready Uh, You can use it as a way of prototyping and trying new things. Um, This this project synced up right with our Creative Career Path series, and I think it's the perfect time. So this should light a fire under your booties and get you uh, challenged and uh, making piles of work, as I say. It's an Instagram project. It starts on April 3rd. You use the hashtag, hashtag the 100 day project. 
and that's the 100 day project to follow along and hashtag CPT 100 day to uh, go along with the creative pep talk community who will be joining in. Man, I'm excited to do this. We haven't done something like this really together and uh, I'm, I'm excited to go on this little journey with you. Um, so I urge you guys to take part and uh, this is the perfect excuse to get started. I'm gonna be using my Instagram at Andy J Pizza to do this project, this daily project I've been wanting to do and it's kind of like a daily creative devotional where I will just be sharing a, an, a creative career strategic or inspirational message. And the idea is that it's going to hit you hopefully with some synchronicity and be just the right thing that you needed to hear that day. That's, what my, that's my hope, that there's some cosmic weirdness uh, slathered onto it. Um, if you don't know... Uh, El Luna used to be a designer at IDEO and she left her job to paint in a room that she saw in her dreams. Uh, she spent the past few years sharing her story uh, of choosing this path with her book, The Crossroads of Should and Must, and also uh, traveling and doing talks. You should definitely go look her up and listen to these talks. Uh, they've, they've inspired me for years and she's actually been a dream guest for a long time, so I'm thrilled to have her on the show. Her new book, Your Story is Your Power, Free Your Feminine Voice, that she co-authored with Susie Herrick is out now and it looks super incredible. You know I'm crazy about studying your story and knowing your story and embracing the power of your own experience. Um, so go check that out. For those of you that, that don't know, Lindsay Jean Thompson, she's a writer and the co-founder of Women Catalysts. Women Catalysts is a community hosting events that inspire women to action. You know I'm all about that. A large swath of the creative pep talk community. Many creative pepperonis are women and I am so for them doing their thing and taking action in their creativity and so I'm super pumped about I'm getting a little bit too passionate and crazy about it but I'm so happy that Lindsay's out there doing this work um, and they're doing all kinds of awesome stuff. Lindsay was diagnosed in 2016 with a very serious case of breast cancer. And ever since, she has been telling her story, uh, writing articles for Vice. And they are profound and funny and beautiful and challenging. You should go check them out. Um, really inspiring stuff and, and, and important work that she's doing. Uh, both of my guests were super generous with their time sharing their stories. And we also jump uh, deep into the 100-day project stuff. Super excited to have him on the show. Let's get into it. Just a heads up, we had a little bit of audio technical difficulties. Not not a ton of stuff. There was just uh, on the previous version that was uploaded of this episode, there was a little um, a delay, which I think might have been a computer thing in recording, but I think we've got that covered now. And there sounds like there might be some kind of ghost in the mix. <laughs> I don't know if it, it could be, I'll have to check in with Elle and Lindsay. There might have been like a cat sleeping near the computer. Um, but yeah, just, just as a heads up, thought I'd let you know. I think we sorted out most of it. Shouldn't be a problem for the episode, but I thought I would acknowledge the ghost cat. Uh, and uh, and let you know that we're we're on top of uh, getting the audio synced. I do everything in my power to make these as high quality audio. You know, I've ramped up the tech and I've I've done all kinds of things over the years to try to increase 
um, the level of quality of the audio and uh, we'll keep revving up even to, f- to higher levels. So without further ado, here you go. Let's do it. Hey, all right. So this is the fake hello since we already have been talking. But uh, I'm really happy to have you here, Lindsay and Elle. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. So uh, we want to talk about your 100-day project and get kind of deep into that because I feel like it will be really relevant to my listeners and I want us to do it. I want my audience to join you guys in this fantastic process. I have been... I am one of those crazy uh, personal project evangelists. Uh, My whole career has been based off of my self-initiated work. So I am uh, really excited to have you guys on the show and and kind of collaborate with you guys. Thank you. We're so excited to be here and to to be a part of the creative pep talk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So, Lindsay, why don't we just start with you? I think we'll just do some... uh, some individual introductions and talk a little bit about your guys' story, and then we can kind of jump into the 100-day thing. Uh, Lindsay, would you give my audience a uh, kind of a, a, a brief version of your story and how you got to be doing this project and doing the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a writer and the co-founder of an organization called Women Catalyst, which is actually how I got to meet Elle. We do a lot of different things. Uh, One of our kind of main events is a fireside chat, a speaker series that we call Catalyst Conversations. And when we very first got started, it was very shortly after Elle had published the Crossroads of Shodan Must, and she right away went to the top of my bucket list of speakers. And I was so thrilled when just a few months later, I emailed her and uh, asked her to be our guest speaker. And she said yes. And so we got to be friends through that and started talking about uh, collaborating on the 100 Day Project together last year. Elle had already been leading it for a few years. Um, and, And I had done the project before. I had my first time doing the project was in 2015. Um, and I had this nice camera that I had bought, uh, DSLR that I really had no idea how to use. And I'm sure we have all done this thing where we spent a lot of money on a tool that just sat there collecting dust. And then we felt like very guilty every time we looked at it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for my first project, I, I picked up that camera every single day for a hundred days and learned how to use it, which was a lot of fun and really rewarding. That's awesome. Um, and also, like, photography, I would say, is not necessarily my must to use Elle's beautiful framework. And so last year, I did a writing project. Writing has been uh, at the core of what I have been, you know, pulled to do the last several years. So uh, just out of curiosity, has the photography ended up being, uh, has it stuck with you? Has it been a part of your creative practice at all after that project? Yeah, totally. I mean, I love good photography. I, you know, the the 100 Day Project takes place over Instagram. It's a visual medium. So even though I'm writing, I'm taking photographs to go along with it. Um, I don't pick up my my nice cameras often as, as I used to, but... I do feel um, more at ease with it, so I don't. I don't feel like yeah. it was like a waste in any way. 
And then the the women's the women catalysts is that is that based in San Francisco? Yeah, so we started in San Francisco. I started it with my best friend Kim. We also have team leaders in New York, LA, Seattle, and we're doing pop ups. I'm actually going to Europe next month, uh, so we're going global. Crazy. Uh, we have a really active online yeah. community too, and and we really started it around this shared value of bringing not just women but people together and elevating women's stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, and so where, how did that happen with you? How did you come up with this idea and, and what's the story? Is there anything more yeah, to that? So doesn't it, Lindsay, doesn't it involve a little bit of beer? Oh, like most good things it does. <laughs> <laughs> so one day Kim and I were hanging out in the park here in San Francisco, not even one of the nice parks. We were in the panhandle. And we yeah. were flying kites and drinking beers. And I just kind of blurted out like, hey, do you want to start this speaker series for women with me? And Kim is one of those people who is such an enthusiastic yes to life that she was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I was like, great, what should we call it? And she's like flying her kite and she looks up at this guy and she goes, how about women catalysts? And I am such a taskmaster that I pulled out my phone right then and there to see if the domain was available. And it was. So it was just odd. Like, if you tell me you're going to do something, like, we're going to do it for sure. You're going to buy the domain instantly. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's hilarious. And, and what as uh, are there any, like, takeaways from this journey for you that have been significant? Like, what, what has been good about doing this project? I mean, so many things. And I think this also connects back to the 100-day project. Just the power of community and people. Yeah individually and collectively working towards their best selves and seeing the best in each other and seeing everyone as yeah. capable and creative and um, as, as someone who has something to share. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So I, the other, I, I've been kind of doing my research and, and reading through your story and, uh, and I've been really moved and challenged and, and, uh, man, I don't even know. I feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel kind of not, what's the word, like qualified to even start grappling with this. But it seems like, I, was it about a, a year ago that you were diagnosed with breast cancer? Yeah, it was a little over a year and a half ago. Um, it was July of 2016. And it was two weeks of the day after my 33rd birthday, I had found a lump and that lump, uh, was cancerous. There were also other lumps that they had found. So I, I actually got diagnosed at stage three C breast cancer. And, um, you know, we were, we were emailing a little bit about this beforehand. Right. And, mm. and what's the role of like cancer and my creative journey is that yeah. cancer has been, uh, like an incredible fuel for my creative journey. I, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably a person who, uh, like us, like Andy and Elle and me, are really interested in other people's creative stories and process. And, yeah. um, you know, I am somebody who also listens to a lot of um, podcasts like this, who reads voraciously. And, you know, for a long time, I, I felt kind of stuck in the what Julia Cameron calls the shadow artist. So somebody who is adjacent to or consuming a lot of creativity that other people are putting out, which is 
which is great. It's part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't really doing my own work. Yeah. And you know, it's like that great Ira Glass quote. Who he talks about? Ira Glass is the host of uh, This American Life, and he talks about how. You know, if you're somebody who's just getting started in, in whatever your thing is, you know, whether it's painting or writing or podcasting, um, you get into it because you like it. You've been studying it. You've yeah. been appreciating it for years. You have a good taste. And because your work is so clearly not at the level that you want it to be, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that discrepancy can be really painful. It can feel like, like a valley that is almost impossible to cross. And, you know, the way that you cross yes. it is, is to show up and keep doing the work. And, um, but at, at, at any rate, I, I got diagnosed and the writing actually started almost out of a really practical desire. I had a lot of information that I had to convey to people. You know, when you get when you get like really big news like that, there's a limit to the number of phone calls you can do. It's it's kind of awful to call people yeah. and be like, hey. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people in that kind of, uh, I think a lot of people that find themselves in that situation, actually, even if they're not writers, find themselves creating a blog for family and friends just to try to catalog and get the information out there. So I think, you know, a lot of people have that experience, don't they? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it just like flowed out of me. And, and the first piece, I I suppose I knew that I was going to keep writing about it because I titled it one diagnosis. (laughs) And it was, you know, all of a sudden I had something that was really important to me to share um, I had a perspective that I didn't have before. Um, and I, I think if you have ever gone through something hard in your life, one of the, one of the things that makes it worthwhile, or maybe the only thing that makes it worthwhile is, you know, how can I use this for something good? Um, and so the writing has been able to do that for me. It's been able to connect me with people who, um, maybe got their own diagnosis or maybe somebody they care about got diagnosed or just had a hard life experience and they don't know how to talk to them about it. Cause it's hard to sit with other people's discomfort. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. And I think, uh, you know, in my experience, it seems like the first part of your, your creative journey is a lot about learning to talk, so to speak, like, you know, like learning, you know, if you're a writer, just learning what kind of good writing is and, and working on your tone and, and all that kind of stuff. And if you're an illustrator, it might be working on your style, but it seems like there's an inflection point that happens when you go from learning to talk to actually having something to say. And that's where all of a sudden your voice kind of kicks in and your your passion and motivation changes and, and people's ability to feel you in the work changes. And it seems like that kind of happened to you. Oh yeah. I love that. I love that perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that I grapple with a lot is as I'm trying to, you know, if I'm working like one-on-one with somebody working on their creative career, then I feel like I can tailor that information to them pretty pretty directly. And I don't find that, um, to be difficult, but one of the things that's difficult doing these like weekly monologues where I'm trying to help people in a general sense is I'm aware that there's going to be a level of even, you know, ableism and, you know, privilege that, that isn't really something that, you know, everybody is coming from different backgrounds with different privilege and different opportunities. And I'm always trying to, uh, trying to figure out the best way of 
going about that. So whether people are speaking publicly or giving advice or, or, or telling their story, is there any tips that you could share about how to navigate these waters? You know, not assuming that everybody, you know, there's a lot of, I'm, I'm not really in this camp, but there's a lot of people out there giving uh, advice online that are, you know, talking about hustling, talking about staying up all night and, and doing that. And, you know, a lot, there's a lot of that, that is kind of crossing the territory of ableism of like, you know, everybody has different abilities and, and, uh, and resources to do that stuff. Does that yeah, totally. make sense? I, let's define ableism for people who are listening. Cause I think a lot of people don't know what it is sure. and like, yeah. don't even realize the ways in which, yeah. And, and yeah. myself included. Absolutely. So like, don't before I tell you what I'm about to tell you. I don't want you to feel bad. We have we have all said and done things that like maybe we put our foot in our mouth. I will give you an example. So yeah. ableism is the sure. the beliefs and practices that favor able-bodied people, and it's so yeah. pervasive and it's so invisible um, that that we often don't even realize that we're doing it. And so I will give you an example of when I did it. I actually wrote about this. I, um, so I'm on this listserv for people who have, or who have had breast cancer here in the Bay area. And when I was in the middle of chemo, when I had kind of first started my treatment, I found it really hard to read the listserv because, you know, not everyone responds well to treatment. And I, I wasn't in the headspace where I could hear stories where people were not having successful results where people were in pain, where people were suffering. I just did not have bandwidth for that at that point. Mm -hmm. And I wrote something along the lines in, in one of my cancer diaries of like, you know, it's so hard for me to hear stories from people who are sick when I'm doing so well. And like I had stage three C breast cancer. Like, (laughs) I mean, the fact Uh. that like I could not even perceive of myself as being a sick person because, you know, in, in yeah. an ableist framework, sick is less than. And I can laugh about it now, and like, it's mm. so obvious, but it's, it's not as obvious in the moment. And it's, it's probably for most of us only oh. obvious in retrospect. And so, you know, in regards to ableism or privilege, I think the best thing that you can do is just acknowledge that your identity, while valid and important, is not universal. It's not the baseline that other people have different experiences, um, that not everyone is going through what you are going through. Yep. Yeah, that's really good. And I I think that is, uh, that that's a good perspective to have. And, and you're, you're coming into these situations kind of telling it's, it's totally valid to come and tell your experience, but not necessarily assume that this is uh, a universal experience or applies universally. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's really good. One, one last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, we kind of touched upon this, but, uh, I wanted to shoot it a little bit more directly. Um, and you can kind of take it however you want, but I wanted to see if you were willing to talk about, through this process where you're writing and you're creating while also, uh, being sick, uh, what are, what, what's something genuinely bad through that? Cause, and the reason I want to highlight that is because I don't want to just diminish it by going straight to, <laughs> can you tell us really? what's amazing about this? Like that, that seems like really, I don't know, kind of trite and terrible, but 
maybe we can kind of go with two different things. One is like, what's genuinely a struggle uh, emotionally, physically, whatever, with doing this work uh, while being sick? And then also, what is the best thing that this has done for your creativity? Yeah, absolutely. If I, that's a fair question. I've, I found it hard to write about some of the there were some points in time where I had a hard time keeping like a positive attitude and I found it hard about to write about that. Not because I didn't want to be honest about that. I absolutely did. But because I feel like there's like so much grief porn out there, you know, and I really hated this idea that, you know, by letting people into my story that, you know, it was that it would be, you know, in any way, uh, like a tool, for them to like gawk at the car accident of my life, you know? Yeah. 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 Like commodifying your real experience of pain. Yeah. Yeah, And you know, ultimately I, I just had to use the best discernment I had available to me and, uh, try to try to find the balance and and people are going to do with it, whatever they're going to do with it. Um, yeah. And I hate to put, I hope you don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot. I just feel like I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't, I, even though it's called creative pep talk and I feel like I get lumped into, you know, kind of mindless positivity, that's not really who I am. And I, I try not to be like, okay, now we have a guest that has breast cancer and it's been a real struggle. What's amazing about it? Like, let's, let's flip that. And, you know, so I, I, I just kind of, and I also think, you know, for people, I have a few listeners in particular that have um, either I've met at conferences or talked to over emails that have uh, have illness and have uh, physical struggle, and um, and I feel like it's not maybe at least in the creative sector not something that is really uh, talked about a lot. I guess I don't feel like there's a lot of people on conference mm-hmm. uh, stages sharing these stories and so that's kind of why where that question comes from um but yeah yeah and i i appreciate that well and and yeah um this is l i would love to just chime in there's um in reading Lindsay's pieces which are all up on vice i think one of the really refreshing things about specifically the way that this um that her writing unfolds is it's she walks right into these incredibly painful situations, just, just, I mean, horrible situations. And she does it in moments in her writing with unbelievable humor. And, you know, like there, there's this one piece in one of her essays where she talks about the, um, (laughs) the, the room that she's in and the room is called Yosemite, right? Lens. Yeah. So she talks about going into this treatment room and it's called Yosemite and she's looking around, you know, there's even like leaf prints of, you know, to mimic, you know, I guess the leaves at Yosemite and she's sitting in this unbelievable paradox of, you know, the, the, the pain of what's happening and the reality of what's happening, (laughs) grappling with that while also being told that she's on a vacation in Yosemite (laughs) and the way that she, she brings like the reader along is really taking this invisible world um, and making it incredibly acutely visible so. through sort of like yeah. painful yeah. humor. Yeah, I uh, I agree, and I 
I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish about this. And if you're going through something hard right now, you are allowed to feel however you feel. You are allowed yeah. to be angry. You are allowed to be sad. You are allowed to be numb. I, yeah. I did keep like, I think I, I felt pretty good through a lot of it. And I felt really good through a lot of it. And because I had yeah. so much support and I have such incredible friends who took care of me, I felt loved in a way that I had never felt loved and cared for before. And, and in so many ways, it was really a very healing experience for me. And also, you know, cathartic to be able to open yeah. up and to share through writing and also through speaking and through stuff like this. Uh, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I think, uh, I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of my audience is going to uh, relate and, and, and take something from that. So I, I appreciate you sharing and, and, uh, and being open with all that and all, and all your writing. Like I, I was reading through, uh, several of your articles and cracking up and <laughs> it's definitely not the same, <laughs> you know, <laughs> take on cancer that I've heard before. It's very unique and and hilarious. Um, So everybody should go check that out. Uh, Okay, over to Elle. Let's talk about you. Could you just tell us, I mean, if people maybe don't even know the story of should and must and and where all that came from, you could maybe start there. Sure. We're going to dive right into the deep end. I like it, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I want to make sure we have plenty of time for the hundred day stuff and I, I'm down to business. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the down to business story is, um, I started having a recurring dream and I started having a dream about a white room and it was very simple. It was a, a room with just tall white walls and cement floors and warehouse windows. And in the dream, I would sit on the floor and I would be filled with unbelievable calm and peace. And, um, that, that was it. But I had this dream over and over again. And one day I, I told a friend about it and she asked me if I had ever thought about looking for this yeah. space in real life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if either of you have ever had a dream where you, um, went about looking for it in real life, but I began to wonder if there wasn't greater intelligence to this dream. And so I, I started looking for the white room, yeah. uh, in real life. And I found it and, um, it was an apartment in San Francisco, a giant, a giant warehouse. And, um, I moved in and on my very first night, you know, none of the Nirvana piece arrived. Instead, I just began to, you know, panic basically like, oh my gosh, none of my furniture is going to work here. How am I going to do this? And, um, and also really, why am I here? And as clear as day, the, the room basically told me why I was here. And the room said, it's time to paint. And um, I'd painted all the time as a little girl. I'd painted all through college. But somewhere along the way, I just kind of got off running a different race, uh, specifically one that I felt like um, I should be running and not necessarily one that was most deeply calling, you know, more from the soul level. And so at this directive, um, I decided to, you know, go and get my, my, my paint kit back together for, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening who have like a, a memory of some special tool or a special box of tools, um, or an instrument or whatever it might be. And I went and, you know, kind of recollected that. And this really ushered into my life, um, a, a much larger t- sort of tidal wave of, um, of, of awareness around what I was really doing and how I was, 
living my life and how I wanted to be living it going forward. And I call this moment the, the crossroads of should and must. And um, should is essentially, um, you know, all of the expectations and obligations that we feel other people put upon us. So it could be, you know, the expectations from family or religion or race or culture. Um, and when we choose to live our lives in should, um, or what we perceive to be as should, we, um, we can feel it and you know it. Um, you know, it's like you can just feel it in your body. You shrink, you get small, you feel more brittle, more sensitive. Um, you just don't feel good. And must is the other path and must is who you are and it's why you're here. And it's the things you love. It's the things that make you look twice. It's, it's, um, sort of that, those aspects about your life that are inexplicable and, and undeniable and so important. And if I've learned, you know, really one thing in all of this work, you know, it all comes back to the 100 day project and how all of this connects, but choosing must and finding must and staying with must, um, is the greatest decision we can make in our lives. Um, but it's really hard. And Lindsay and I spent a lot of time talking about our shoulds and getting to know them because, our shoulds, you know, stand in the way of even our best intentions. And so we have to bring them into awareness and bring them into consciousness and get to know them so that we can, you know, more fully step into where we want our lives to go and where we long for them to be. And so this was uh, a few years ago now, and I'm curious where this kind of journey has taken you. And if you feel like it's, it seems like from the outside that, this was a real uh, catalytic moment that kind of created a before and an after, and you're kind of existing in the after, and I'm kind of assuming there, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, since you have been actively choosing must, where has that taken you and how has that shaped the past couple of years? Well, what I really love about Lindsay's story is, you know, her experience um, with cancer, just took her right into the center of her own pain and her own, um, you know, grappling with, with so many of the larger questions that she talks about in her, in her vice essays. And similarly, I, I got to this place where, I mean, really the white room from my dream took me right into the center of quite a bit of pain for a long time and realizing, you know, how many, how many shoulds was I unwittingly yeah. ag agreeing to, and, you know, how much, how much of my like kind of day to day autopilot existence was the result of a decision I had signed up for a long time ago? And w was that really working for me? Did I want to be in, um, you know, the, the, the spaces or, you know, thinking some of the things I was thinking or doing some of the things I was doing and, um, so that, you know, the, the, the post eventually became a book and that came out in 2015. And since then it's really been about, um, in, in a similar way with Lindsay, just stepping into my own internal world and getting to know all of the voices yeah. swirling around there. And the more I kept going into this, I mean, even after the book came out, I, I was still continuing to figure out, you know, how deep does this rabbit yeah. hole of should go? And one of the things that became immediately apparent to me um, was that a lot of the shoulds that I felt that I was still really stuck in or trapped in were the shoulds that I felt specifically related to my own gender as a woman. 
and um, really looking at who I felt I needed to be in relationship or in the world or really the story I told myself when I saw myself in the mirror. You know, how should I look? How should I dress? How should I show up in a meeting? How should I, you know, should I be okay with kind of casual jokes where women are the brunt of the jokes? Should I be, um, you know, trying to never age because, you know, advertising predominantly tells women that we're supposed to be 18 forever. Um, All of the different stories that were in my internal world, um, specifically, a lot of them came out when I was painting and making art because, um, you know, the inner critic, as everybody who has a creative practice knows, there's the, the inner critic is, is right there and the resistance is real. And as, as I got to know my inner critic more and more, I realized that my inner critic wasn't just critical, but could also be downright hateful and specifically could be downright hateful about my own femininity and the aspects of myself that were um, really important as, yeah. as being a woman. And so I decided to um, partner after the election, um, which I felt incredibly dumbfounded by and um, really unable to even just like get dressed in the morning. I went into incredible grief. Um, The opportunity happened. The the publisher reached out and said, you know, we know you've been thinking about this for a long time. Would you like to respond in some way um, with another book? And um, I, I said yes. And I partnered with a, a a friend and an amazing psychologist. She focuses in women's psychology. Uh, she's also an author. Her name is Susie Herrick. And we published a, um, actually the book comes out on March 7th on International Women's Day. And we're, um, we're thrilled um, to have it out in the world. Um, but the, the book really focuses on the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves as women and um, how do we, how do we get to know our own feminine voice and how do we identify the blocks that stand, you know, in the way of us really harnessing our full gifts and voice and strength and power as women and as men who love women. Um, so my story, um, I guess to, to wrap it up and there's, I could talk about this forever, but, um, I I think we're, we're at a particular moment in time when we need women's voices and intelligence and gifts and creativity. And, you know, it's, it's happening with the me too movement and everything happening. You know, we have midterm elections upcoming and, um, how do we continue to, um, encourage and empower our our moms and sisters and friends and our nieces and granddaughters to step out and and share what what's on their mind and to to let them know that we have their backs and we're ready to vote for them and hear them and 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 the world needs them to step onto the stage and we're we're ready for that realizing that uh, that so many narratives these days that are trying to kind of shape cultural thought around women are just trying to say, hey, there, <laughs> we can have more than one story of what it means to be a woman or even worse, a good woman in quotes. I feel like I, I keep seeing this thing of like, and even in my own family and in, you know, extended family. And then in America versus live, you know, I lived in the UK, my wife is British and they have, 
a whole different history with the gender roles and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it, what's that? Oh, certainly. Yes. Of yes. Course. It's totally different. And, and so for me, one of the things that I'm kind of shocked by growing, you know, being an adult in America now is how it seems like there's, there's maybe like one, two max roles that are accepted and celebrated, uh, two, two kinds of stories maybe, um, that are, that are celebrated, uh, as, for women and that any other type of story, different personality, uh, has to have this extreme defense and, and like explanation. Like you have to explain yourself for not falling into these categories. Does that feel right to you? Do you know what I mean by that? Well, it reminds me of, of what we saw happening during the Obama administration. And, um, we saw that in the first, in the first term, a lot of the women, um, you know, would sit at, ta- at the, the table and share their ideas and very quickly a man in the room would, you know, take on the idea as his own yeah. and then run with it and not let any of the women speak. And so the women got together and they said, we got to stop this. And I think that's a key thing, right? The mm. women got together and it's about coming together. Um, it's why Lindsay and I do so many projects together, um, why I co-authored a book. Um, how do we come together and figure out how we want the story to to be. And they said, we got to stop this. And so the women, they developed a technique called amplification. And during the second term, they began putting this into effect. Mm -hmm. And um, when a woman would say something during a board meeting or during any kind of meeting, they would, um, they would then turn and amplify the message and continue to give credit to the woman who had thought of it. Yeah. And the, the men in the room began to take notice and Obama began to take notice and um, began to actively call on more women and um, continue to make sure that the, the women who had the ideas continued to get credit for it. So we, we see this happening. And I, and I yeah. think the opportunity is how do we how do we come together and and really make the story that we want to be living? Yes. And so, uh, yeah, that that's fantastic. And I uh, you know, the other thing that I pulled from your uh, new book as I was researching um, just some of the ideas in there and you talk about kind of the power of knowing and owning your story. And this is like a thing that I think a lot about uh, as I started doing public speaking, I started laying my own story over different story structures and kind of making sense of things. And it helped me discover things that I never knew. And so I've been encouraging and and walking other creatives through that process too. Uh, And I wanted to hear from you, what to you is the power of, you know, women owning their story, knowing their story, but also just creative people in general. Uh, What, what happens when you do that? Hmm. That's a really lovely question. Yeah. I mean, um, Ultimately, um, how do I say this? I guess as our hope in creating this book, and and I would even make this more more broad, um, our hope in um, as creators is you know it, it's like Van Gogh said uh, once: I I dream my painting and then I paint my dream. What is the connection between, you know, the white room dream and, and then the, the reality that unfolds, I mean, you know, it's, it's like there, there's a poet, um, 
Chang Tzu, he said, you know, I have this dream where I am a butterfly and I wake up and I wonder, am I Chang Tzu who dreams of a butterfly or am I a butterfly who dreams of Chang Tzu? You know, it's, it's like we look at fairy tales, we look at Cinderella, the glass slipper. What is it about these, these bridges between, you know, the, the, the stories in our dreams or the, 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 um, the stories that we tell ourselves in our minds and then, you know, what's happening in, in a board meeting? How, like, I, it's, it's, a little, it's a little elliptical. It's a little, um, it's, it's sort of like a Zen koan. Um, but what what is and i think as creators like we're 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 creating we're we're opening the doors we're opening the windows into that which we want to exist and it's not just about creating you know art with our life but creating our entire life into a work of art and i think some of the greatest creators like you know picasso and um even even um, I know when this is actually a little bit of a segue into the 100 Day Project, but um, a, a friend of mine, George Zidayas, he once was just totally um, like just shocked when he saw that um, he, he went to see Picasso's painting Guernica. And next to the painting were all of these sketches that he had done. And, and my friend George was just shocked, you know, like, what do you mean sketches? You know, this didn't just happen in one fell swoop. And um, he, he just was so amazed that, that Guernica was this, um, this, this dream, this long held dream of Picasso's. And it was a long process of experimentation. And, and creating is about, you know, really surrendering to this, this vision or this inner knowing or, um, and you, you hear everybody from, you know, filmmakers to musicians talk about, you know, how do you just open up like a, like a tree and just receive what comes from the depths? Um, and how do you, how, how do we really fall in love with the act of, of creating, which is, which is, um, a process and not necessarily a product. Yeah. And actually, I think there's a really powerful, and and it can, and you know, it might people might miss it, but there's a really powerful idea happening here because when I ask you the question, I'm thinking about your story as your past, and I think a lot of people think about their story and who they are as their past, and not as much about their story being what they're going to create with their life in the future, and that that's telling their story. Uh, you know, I think of telling your story as like, tell what's happened to you and what 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 you've done so far. And you kind of, it seems like even have flipped it to, you know, what what is the story you're going to tell? What is the dream that you're going to unravel into the future? And I think that that is a, a mental shift that is really powerful. Well, thank you for reflecting that, Andy. And I, I would also say, I think both are are. Um, are rich and yeah. fertile, right? You yeah. know, there, there's that, that old saying, you know, those, those who don't remember the past are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. Uh, we have, we have to, we have to drill down into those, you know, caverns. Um, we have to go back to the parts of ourselves that were hurt or the, you know, it's like the earlier ring of the tree. We have to go back and, and meet younger versions of ourselves um, in moments when, you know, a transition happened or a change happened or something was said. Um, it's sort of like, like we need, we need to understand, you know, how, what is the impact of our culture? You know, whether we were born in the UK or um, the United States, what is the impact of our, our family? 
um, what is the impact of even our internal personality structure? Yeah. And how do we bring all of that into awareness so that um, we we have um, we can choose what what we want to continue to hold on to, and we can also choose if there are parts of us that are obsolete that that we're ready to let go of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. My friend is uh, my friend as an artist, and he's creating this giant, like, and I mean giant Viking ship, where he's going to do a Viking funeral, uh, and he's wow. going, he's taking wow. all of these. It's a ridiculous <laughs> project. It's a friend of mine. He was on the podcast not long ago, but he's taking uh, this. He's making this like sixteen foot Viking ship, and the scales of the dragon are these four by six cards that people have written things from their past that they want to let go of. And so when he's done making the ship, he's going to set it on fire. And it just reminds me of that. And there's this, uh, there's this quote and I'm blanking on who said it. It was, uh, man, I can't remember. Maybe you guys know, but it's something about you're not, um, no one's required to be the person they were five minutes ago. And, uh, man, I can't remember who said it. But anyway, uh, I think that that's really powerful. I think, you know, processing the past, that's another thing I've been thinking a lot about is like, if you don't know where you've been, uh, it's going to be really hard to know where you're going. And, and I do think, yeah, both sides of that coin right. are really important. Um, I well, I have one project. last question for you. Oh. Chills here What's that? I love that project. I got chills or what oh, so good. truth hairs. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. But, uh, yeah, his name's Kyle Sheely, uh, and he is—he does the craziest things. He—he—he—he—he he, 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 uh, he created a centaur bicycle, which is like a tandem bicycle that he built. Like a, the backside is attached to this horse, and then he has like horse pants on, and will get on the front and ride it, and uh, <laughs> just like tons of weird stuff. He's really strange, dude. Um, but he's doing this giant. Uh, 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 yeah, Viking ship funeral. Um, but so one last and, Andy, I have to, I have to just jump in real yes. quick. I'm sorry to interrupt, but in, in the, in the spirit of, of giving credit where it's due truth hairs is, um, something my friend Michelle Underwood says. So I'm, I'm passing it on. That's, yeah. that's a lovely phrase that she says. That's good. Yeah. I'm all about that. I'm like a, uh, I'm constantly like a, a book of footnotes, uh, referencing <laughs> every, every, uh, great idea that I'm, you know, taking from somebody else. So I always feel the, the pressure to do that. Um, so I have one last question for you, Al, and then we can move on to the hundred day project. Um, what for me, cool. you know, I, I feel challenged working with creative people who are trying to do what they do for a living and, and, and that same kind of challenge for me where I, my nature is to be, uh, really artsy, really, uh, which I guess could mean all kinds of things, but my nature is to, to do the must thing, right? Like to, that is who I am and kind of the way that I've always have leaned. And, th and this question is kind of, um, this is a genuine question from my heart. Like, I'm just curious to hear what your experience is. I always, you know, the shoulds in your mind are so practical and they're so uh, logical sometimes for me. Like, they're, they, their arguments are believable. And I think often that I 
refuse to give room to the must because it just feels so, I don't even know what the word is, but impractical, I guess. Does that make sense? Sure does. (laughs) And so I wonder like, just if you have any, you know, um, what is the thing that gives you the the faith to follow your must? Like what, maybe it's stuff that you've learned from doing it or, or whatever, but what is the thing that propels you to continue down that path when you're, you probably, I'm sure even today have those shoulds in your mind kind of arguing their points. Does, does that make sense? It sure does. And I, I think right now, Andy, just what you said is you're like, you're doing the work. You're talking about, you know, the shoulds of your mind and you, I imagine you, you could kind of fill in the blank, you know, you should never, you should always, you should know better than to, you know, it sounds like you kind of have a handle on what some of those might be for you. Yeah. And, you know, because you're able to then say that they're, um, those, those phrases are quite practical or they tend to be on the more logical side for you. Um, and it sounds like you're, generating some awareness around what that voice is and how it functions for you. Mm. Um, and that's really the the name of the game, which is um, gentle self-awareness. How do we continue to bring our shoulds into visibility? Um, how do we continue to have dialogue around our shoulds and, and space for one another to share? Uh, Lindsay and I talk about our shoulds a lot. And it's a safe place for us to share and Mm. say, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm really caught in this sort of tangle in my mind around X, Y, or Z. And, and how, how, when we share that with one another, instead of seeing that as a negative thing or as, um, a weakness or a stumbling block, how do we actually see that as the doorway to growth? Yeah. How do we, you know, when someone says like, you know, I, I feel like I should go on a diet because, you know, I, otherwise I won't be able to get a date. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's like incredibly, um, that's incredibly, um, harmful internal self-talk, which is, could, could be very real for someone. And when somebody shares something like that, it's so beautiful to respond and say, wow, wow that's amazing. And, and thank you. And just to, um, to celebrate that they're able to really look at that, knot that they might be, that might be really painful for them Mm. and, and to bring it, bring it out. And then you can say, okay, great. You know, let's, let's talk about this more. Cause that's a, that's a pretty, you know, um, you know, I love you. And that's a, that's a pretty rough internal message. Um, yeah. are there other ways that you might, might look at this or how, you know, begin to have dialogue around it? I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And, and do you have a, an example of a should that you have had to work through and come <laughs> through to the other side? Oh, sure. I, I have a lot of them. <laughs> Um, one of them, um, is I, I grew up thinking I should not call myself a feminist. And, um, I, I think I just overheard kind of casual, you know, we, we would now call it like kind of casual misogynistic banter, but I overheard a lot of jokes, jokes where, um, you know, feminists were, you know, 
um, overweight and hairy and um, mean and angry, and you wouldn't want to be one of those. And um, I, so I kind of just, I never even examined it. And when we don't examine things, it, we're living in autopilot, yeah. right? We're, we don't have choice. Yeah. We're, we're, it's choiceless. We're just sort of operating uh, like a machine. And so as I really began to look at that, which, you know, I didn't want to look at that. I had all these negative connotations about it. But as I began looking at it and really actually looking at what the definition of feminism is, and I was around a lot of people who are feminists and I internally judged them. You can usually tell where your shoulds are by, by who you judge. And, um, I judged, you know, women who were activists or outspoken about women's rights. And, um, and I, you know, I didn't really want to be a part of it. And, um, I felt like it was for someone else, but, um, the more I kept looking at it and realizing how much judgment there was there, I began to realize, um, actually that feminism has nothing to do with your weight or your level of body hair. It has to do with equality and it has to do with believing in equality between the sexes. And I was just the, um, you know, a, a pawn in the system that, that shares messages about women to keep women from their power. Mm. And as I realized that I was so sad, I mean, how many books did I miss? How many, you know, women's studies classes did I miss in college? How much of my life did I just not even experience because that, that door wasn't even open Mm. for me. And that, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. And now, um, you know, here I've, I've, I'm just with Susie about to publish this book all about feminine power and it's all about feminism and it's all about how amazing it is to be a woman and how amazing it is to be a woman with a voice. And, um, so I, and I think because it was a should for so long, you should not be outspoken. You should not be controversial. You should, you know, not speak out and use your voice maybe because it was a should for so long. Now it's like so precious to me. Mm. You know, now I have this amazing opportunity to share this message and, and I I don't want any young girl who's 13 or 15 or 45 to believe this nonsense because women are amazing. And and that's the, that's what got us into this whole mess. So we got to, we got to, we got a lot of work to do. Um, So that's how a should can really change and, and, and grow over time. And I love the, uh, what you said about like, examining something and not letting things go unexamined. And for me personally, one of the things I I talk a lot about with creatives is this idea that you're going to have a really hard time getting your art to grow past yourself. Like your own personal growth uh, has the ability to stunt Mm -hmm. your artistic growth and that you know, self-actualization and that process goes hand in hand with your art getting good. Like if you think about the artists that have made the biggest impact, a lot of them, not all of them, there are definitely exceptions to the rules, but a lot of them are people that are very self-actualized and at least know themselves really well that have, you know, not refused to open doors within their, their past or their psyche or, or whatever. And I think for me personally, the past, you know, three years, I feel like for me has been a process of saying, there's not any door in my mind or any door in my past that I'm not, that, that I'm going to refuse to open. I want to know, I want to know the truth about what I really believe and who I really am. And, And it sounds like that, that process is a lot of what happened with you and in, in this idea of feminism. And, and it sounds like that seems like a big part of um, uncovering your shoulds and working through them is, is saying, you know, probably your shoulds would say, 
you shouldn't open that door. You shouldn't even uh, examine your life. That's right. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> it, there's also a lovely old saying that says, you know, when the gods really want to punish you, they answer all of your prayers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, so, all right, we better talk about the Hundred Day Project. We've, we've gone, we've gone uh, deep into these these, these stories. Uh, just in the spirit of making sure we're referencing everything, that quote I, I recalled was uh, Alan Watts. By the way, yeah. it's a, uh, and I, I looked it up. It says, "You're under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago." I love that. I think that's super good. Um, okay, so let's talk about the 100 day project. Lindsay, do you want to just kind of give uh, a, a brief kind of backstory to that and and what it is? And I mean, I, I know that there's part of it that's kind of self-explanatory, but <laughs> anything you can tell us about this would be helpful. Yeah, sure. So it's a project that's 100 days, as you might have guessed by the name. That's <laughs> um, what it says in the tin, yeah. So the very basic idea is to commit to an action every single day. Um, to document that action on Instagram to share with your own unique hashtag and the hashtag the 100 day project. And really you can do anything. The only limit is your imagination. Um, you know, some people paint, some people write, some people dance, some people do performance art. I mean, people have done such incredible projects. Um, a few years ago, Elle, there's a woman who um, like held a chair in a different way every single day, which yeah. sounds sort of like yeah. out there, but it was just <laughs> actually fantastic to watch unfold over a hundred days. Um, the project actually yeah, initially started at Yale with Michael Beirut, who's a very famous graphic designer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And L popularized it on Instagram five years ago. So this is the fifth year that Elle will be leading it online. I've joined her for the past two years and it is awesome in the truest sense of the word. It is terrifying and exciting and scary and fun. Um, and a lot of, yeah. a lot of realizations happen in a hundred days. Uh, you know, one of the things that Elle and I hear a lot is, you know, Oh, I've done it twice, but I stopped on day 34 and day 57. L, don't they almost always know exactly what day they stopped on? Like, almost always. Always. And, you know, one of the nights, we actually got to interview Michael Beirut to, to kick off this year, which starts April 3rd, by the way. And oh, cool. he was such a delight. Yeah. And, and he really, a lot of this is like arbitrary, right? 100 days is arbitrary. He, he made up that, that number because it, it, it was like the start and end day of his program at Yale was exactly 100 days. And, you know, right. a lot of times I think as creatives, we put these constraints on ourselves. Like, what's good enough? How many days do I have to do this? How much time do I have to spend to do this? How many people should like it on Instagram? And I think one of the beauties of the 100 Day Project is really just that you get to decide what the constraints are. And for some people, maybe that means doing 34 days this year because they didn't actually enjoy what they were doing and they sat with it for long enough and they decided to let it go. And so if you have been that person or if you've been like me where you spent $1,000 on a camera that you didn't use and then you felt really bad, like, you know, that's information. We don't, we don't have to, like, pretend that that didn't happen. But this is a new year. Let's pick something that you actually want to do. Mm. And what has, uh, what have oh, you gosh, got from so it Oh, gosh, so much. I, I think that there is, 
you know, a lot of value in showing up for something every single day. And one of the great things about doing the project is, you know, it's not really a matter of deciding if you're going to create something. It's like, I've already decided that I'm going to do a hundred days of this. And, you know, however many days it takes to do a hundred days is fine. But like, for me personally, once I decide to do something, like it's, it's on. And so like taking away that kind of like decision, do I feel like writing today? Like I almost never feel like writing, you know, I almost never feel like doing my yoga practice. Um, and you know, sitting through some of the discomfort that comes up on day 30, when you get bored and you've run out of ideas and you're just like really in the thick of your own bullshit is, (laughs) I I mean, is is really the point of the project is it's like michael michael beirut likes to say that the, the project doesn't start yeah. until you've run out of ideas on like day 35 yeah totally totally true yes i'm super fascinated with this idea uh in terms of creativity like quantity over quality is like a thing that i don't think uh, has been a big thing for me just like a little uh, uh backstory is i did back in like 2011 i did a year-long project where I did a new character every weekday for a year. So that was 260 of them. And my hypothesis was like, (laughs) was like, you know, what the reason I did it was I wanted to shake up my style a little bit because I felt Mm -hmm. like on the internet, everything was looking the same. And I wanted to figure out like, how can I get, like, I could not get uh, out of that frame of reference. And my solution was that same thing that you're talking about, which is like, (laughs) 50 days in, you're going to have to stretch yourself. You're going to have to do something that is unnatural, doesn't feel good, doesn't feel like it looks right, you know, with the cultural stylistic zeitgeist. You're going to have to like, you know, jack it up a little bit. And I think uh, just that the quantity aspect is pushes you in ways that, um, you know, just, you know, always trying to make yeah, something and nice. I think that actually, you like, feel how do you like get to can't. quality? You get there through quantity you get there through showing up, you get through it through, you know, your X number of hours. Right. Absolutely. Um, yes. yeah. L calls it breaking, breaking your project. Yeah. So when you get to that place, Calling where you back run out of ideas, Sorry. you know, turn it upside down, look at it a different That's way. Good. Uh, do something totally different. Start with the color that you hate do something, do anything, you know, you know, yeah, you have to get to that point where it's like, uh, how can I not be bored at this stage? Like, is there anything I could do to shake this up that would, you know, help me to keep going? And and it also calls back to that thing you're talking about with the Ira Glass idea of the gap is like just forcing yourself to push the quantity is what in my experience, that's what closes the gap between your taste and your work is just putting in the time, even when you're not feeling like it. Well, and in addition, in addition to the, the, um, like what's actually happening in your project is also just, you know, we get busy and we're, you know, we're just so many of us are, you know, our schedules are loaded, our, our plates are packed. And like the idea of putting something else on your plate might just make you want to cry and laugh at the same time. (laughs) And so for me, um, the 100 day project, I selfishly, I wanted to do the 100 day project the first year, um, because I just wanted discipline and I wanted to like publicly Mm -hmm. say, Hey, people who I, I am, I'm close to, I am going to post every day for a hundred days. And it was this clever hack 
to sign yourself up for like public accountability. And, um, you know, I, after we started, um, you know, there was just like 15 of us and then it swelled into 15,000 and then 50,000. And, um, now there's people in over 70 countries all around the world that do this thing every year that nobody owns, you know, nobody's, um, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, like last year there was a whole splinter group that went off doing their own thing and like, cool, great. And it's just this sort of self-organized community run project that everyone, um, everyone just sort of, we, we pick a start day and it's usually a Tuesday and in the spring and we do it once a year. And, um, it's one of my favorite stories is, um, one of the projects that I remember was this woman named Hillary Patrick and on her Instagram account. Um, cause I always love going around and looking to see like, who's doing it and what are they doing and looking at all the projects. Um, Hillary wrote in her bio, uh, want to be artist for real mom of two. And her photo stream was just, you know, filled with photos of her cute two boys. They were playing soccer. And um, every day for 100 days, she decided to embroider nonsense. And her project was so refreshing and funny. And just, you you could just, after 100 days, it was, I I wrote her and I was like, hi, Hillary, like, I'm I'm Elle. I've been, you know, following along on your project. And like, just so you know, like, you you can update your your bio now. Like, you're a for real (laughs) artist. You've got a a beautiful body of cross-stitch here. And, you know, she laughed. And like, um, for anyone who is just like, ready to step into this, this creative project that's been on the back burner, or, you know, if your plate is too full and you, you just kind of, there's an itch that you want to scratch. It is such a great jumpstart for your creative practice. And it can be small. It can be like every day I'm going to meet someone new and I'm going to take a photo with them, or it could be, you know, every day I'm going to do a watercolor of a cactus, like, uh, the artist Sarah Combs. It could be, I remember one day I was on Forbes and, um, there was an article on Forbes about a woman who did the 100 day project who, um, she was a a strip club dancer and she, she would turn her strip club conversations, like the overheard conversations she would have with her clients, um, into art and make these beautiful little like watercolor cartoons. And so she, and she called it 100 days of pleasantries. Um, so your, your project can be, it can be anything from like, you know, a hundred songs or a hundred photos or a hundred volunteer hours. It could be, you know, 100 post-it note doodles. I mean, it can be anything. Mm. And do you guys have, uh, from your, from your experience, do you have you picked up on any tips and tricks for choosing a project that you'll stick with or choosing one that feels productive or fe- you know anything that you guys have learned from experience and watching other people is there anything people should be thinking about before they commit For sure. I mean yeah. first of all the really big complicated projects get bigger and more complicated. So the first thing would be whatever you're thinking about doing, how could it be even easier? So, you know, tools that you can carry on you, like that kind of level of easy. So if you're traveling or if you're in the middle of something really big at work or with your family that you really could do it in just five minutes a day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things Mm -hmm. that I really appreciate about the way that Elle talks about must is, it's gotten so popular to talk about like pursuing your passion. And, and I think for a lot of people, it can feel sort of 
overwhelming and bad and and like yeah and you know Elstick is like you don't have to quit yeah. your job to pursue must you know you could you can you mm-hmm. can devote five minutes a day to doing something just because you love it and that's a perfect way to honor your must and the yeah. hundred day project is a great way to do that. So our friend Laura has two yeah. small kids and a full-time job and, you know, all of the things, a very full life. And she keeps her watercolors above her fridge. And after the kids go to bed, she sits down and she just, she just paints for five or 10 minutes. And so the idea isn't necessarily to have a yeah. finished piece every single day. It's just to get into that process of making. And then I think the other thing is, is like, yeah. do something because you really want to do it because it's fun, because you enjoy it. And those projects, good call. it's just so clear when someone's doing something because they enjoy it. And that kind of enthusiasm is contagious, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That I say the exact same thing when I'm telling people about self-initiated work is for me, it's like if I get stale and I'm kind of in a weird zone and I can't, I've, I'm losing my spark, I always ask myself, what's something you would get up an hour earlier to make? Like, just because you're like, man, this is exciting. And I want to just, I just want to do it. And that's kind of one of the metrics that I use on myself for, you know, and and if it's not, if it's not one of those things, then I'd feel like it's kind of an inauthentic uh, self-initiated work. It's like, this isn't something that's really coming from me anyway, because I'm not, I'm not stoked to do it. So that's good. Good advice. And you can always tell in someone's project on like day, like 50 or day 60, when everything is just breaking (laughs) and everything is falling apart and you know, they're like, I really, you know, could use this extra five minutes every day for other things, you know, they're, they're thinking about it. Yes. And if, if for those of you who do the project, if you get to that place and you're ready to just throw in the towel, you can totally do that. You there's, there's no shoulds here. Um, and at the same time, usually that's it's it's use those moments of contraction where things um, break open. Yeah. And you know you'll see when someone's project go, you know it's like going from a, a gas to a liquid. Like it's 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 alchemy, and it's in it's in the project. It's just baked in by nature of the the, the duration of time. Mm-hmm. And, and usually when everything falls apart, that's when like the new thing emerges. So, so hang with it if, if you want. And, um, Lindsay and I also do a, um, a like more high touch group every year called the 100 day collective. And it's for folks who want more accountability or they, you know, are nervous that on day 75, when everything falls apart, like they have no one to talk to. Um, we lead, we started that last year and we're going to be doing it again this year. And, um, it, it will run in tandem with the 100 day project, but that's like a smaller community for folks who want accountability and support and encouragement and, um, and to do it really like on the, on the weekly with, um, different things that are coming up. We talk about different, uh, themes. We have guest teachers, uh, and you have a lot of opportunities to ask questions and workshop your project with the, the larger group. Awesome. And where can they find out about that? The 100 day collective.com. Or the 100dayproject.org. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And uh, so we're going to be doing this, the creative pep talk audience, and I'm going to be doing it personally. Uh, I'm going to give a bunch of, uh, (laughs) I haven't done, I I haven't done uh, other, I guess the the podcast is kind of was like that for a long time. It was just self-initiated and not for money. I did that for like a year and a half every week, but I haven't done like a daily project for a good 
probably six years. And uh, I feel like the time has come and I'm excited to do it. And after, after we wrap up, I'll give some like uh, some instructions of, of what I'm planning to do with my audience. But is there anything else that they need to know? Anything else you want to plug or point them to any, just anything else that's on your heart that you want to share? This is your moment. I would just say, keep, keep showing up, you know, like I, one of the things that's been really delightful in yes. some of the interviews that we've done is that artists almost always say that whatever ends up happening was even better than they could have imagined when they kept showing up. Right. Like you just don't even mm. know what the impact might be or what the portfolio might be. Uh, Cause you can't like really plan all of this stuff, you know, like the things that happen when you yeah. give yeah. yourself permission to take the time and space um, are almost always even better than you would have ever even imagined. Yeah, I love that. I love framing it like this journey that you're going to go on. And hopefully, I you know, it, if it goes well, you should be surprised. You should be, you should come into things that are really unexpected. Like that's got to be a big part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for doing this. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to be on the show and uh, do this with my audience. I'm thrilled to be involved. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Al and Lindsay, for being on the show and letting us be part of your awesome 100-day project. I'm glad that Creative Pep Talk and our pepperonis get to be all in on this thing. You guys get a chance to have a deadline and some accountability to put this creative career path and the principles and strategy to work. Uh, doing this 100-day project with me and Elle and Lindsay and all the other people around the world doing this thing. If you want uh, to get some more accountability and go deeper in that world, go check out the 100-day collective at the100dayproject.org. Follow along on Instagram at hashtag the100dayproject, and our community is going to be posting our pieces with the hashtag with that hashtag and this one, hashtags CPT100Day, and I'll be posting it there too. You can go check it out and get your creative daily devotional um, there and get some of the cosmic good creative career path stuff happening. Uh, thank you guys so much for being on the show. I super appreciate it. Um, thanks for listening. If you're like a creative pep talk, creative pepperoni, uh, and it's had this show means something to you and you want to give back, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. You can go to iTunes and rate and review the show. That makes a crazy difference. I don't know why, it just does. So if you haven't done it, I'd appreciate it if you go check that out. Uh, you can back the podcast financially at patreon.com slash creative pep talk and be one of the people that make it happen. Uh, you can get some Creative Pep Talk merch at creativepeptalk.com slash shop, or you can access the first 100 episodes. Stay up to date when a new episode drops by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari for some other tunes. And big thanks to Alex Sugg for editing this podcast so beautifully and adding some of his music as well. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.